I want to start with just reading um, about Isaiah 53 that someone wrote about that I think really sums up how important this chapter is that we're looking at um, and how it really can be a bridge. I mean, as we look and we say, how do we witness to others about Christ? Most of the time, we think you know we're focused on Gentiles in that. What's fascinating about Isaiah 53 as we study it is Isaiah 53 is probably the premier passage of Scripture that if you know it really well and you encounter a Jew and a lot of the stuff that we're learning here, it is, it is a way to talk to Jews on, on their terms and to help them then see who this servant is. And this um, sort of um, summarizes that well between about this passage about Isaiah um, 53. It says, I think there is no other passage in the Bible which so clearly reveals both the common root of Judaism and Christianity and also the decisive difference which separates them. We can see this from the interpretation of Isaiah 53 in the Targum which is um, Jewish writings about the scriptures, and in the New Testament. In neither of them, so in either neither from a Jewish perspective or from the Christian perspective of the New Testament, in neither of them is a servant of the Lord that we see in Isaiah 53 understood collectively as a symbol for the true Israel. That's really important to know, because as you saw, as we were looking at the servant songs, we saw how the servant songs sort of started out, this this, um, idea of servant, started out as collectively being Israel. And then we see that Israel did not fulfill that. And all of a sudden, the servant, as the the people of Israel, became the servant. (laughs) Okay? Um, The question is who that servant is. And that's where the difference is between Jews and Christians. So it says, and neither of them is the servant of the Lord understood collectively as a symbol of true Israel. Rather, in both, the servant is related to the person of the Messiah. But the result of their interpretation is very different. For the Jews, the servant of Isaiah 53 does not suffer at all. He appears rather as the victorious Messiah who will bring the exile of the Israelites to an end by defeating their political enemies. Hmm. He will make these enemies suffer under his blows as Israel is suffering now under their yoke. The servant will be successful throughout. Okay, which we see in part of our passage today as it opens up. All right. But for Jesus and the evangelists and the apostles and obviously us as Christians today, the messianic servant himself is who suffers vicariously for many, which is what we're studying and looking at. That's what atonement is. Strangely enough, and this is interesting, it doesn't really explain it, but strangely enough, the methods of interpretations used by both sources, the Jews and by Christians, are quite similar. But we come to two very different conclusions about who the servant is. And that really pretty much cuts it down like if you 
I've heard that from someone who I listened to the teachings of and going through Isaiah, he's in many times had to talk to Jews. And his knowledge of Isaiah 53 becomes sort of a bridge in which allows Jews to listen to him and go, okay, you're not just like, tell me about this Jesus guy. But you've got a common thing which you can then start the discussion with. So really the, the difference is for the Jews... Isaiah 53 is read as there is a Messiah, but when you read the suffering part of Isaiah 53, they take that as being Israel themselves, not the Messiah. Really? Yes. And they do not believe that in atonement, in the sense that we're going to talk about, they don't believe that, that, that the Messiah could suffer and die for them. Okay? That is something that we see now completely revealed in Jesus that we talked, started talking about last week in the New Testament. So as we study this and we look at this passage, it's really a fascinating bridge to the world, <laughs> whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile. So, so they recognize that Jesus suffered, but... They don't recognize that Jesus suffered. No. They don't even recognize Jesus. I mean, Jews typically will look at Jesus as sort of a failed attempt at a Messiah, of a Messiah at all. They are still, as someone said, which I think is, I think I've said it here before, it sounds simplistic, but it's actually probably pretty true. The difference between Jews today and Christians is that Jews are still waiting for the first coming of the Messiah. We are waiting for the second coming. And at one point in history, as Paul tells us in Romans 9 through 11, at one point in history in Revelation, we all will be worshiping Jew and Gentile the same. But Messiah. historically, they understand or they they recognize that Jesus suffered. They might recognize that Jesus was a Jew who died on the cross, along with a lot of other Jews. Right. But most Orthodox Jew Jews have never even opened up the New Testament and do not. They don't know, they know very little, almost nothing about Jesus. They're focused on the Old Testament. They look at the New Testament as Christian, <laughs> you know. Okay. Um, yeah. So their point that he was a failed Messiah was because he died on the cross? Right. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. I yeah. never got that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a Messiah... There were That's other amazing. people who claimed to be Messiah before Jesus. Okay, so the Maccabees, yes. the Maccadamian revolt, and there's other. There were other yes. messiahs who the Jews thought were going to be the savior for their country, for them, for the for Israel, before even Jesus. Who were more political and military? So when Jesus came along, as you just read, saw here by the political nature, Jesus just did not look like what they had said. What's fascinating, <laughs> that's why we're looking at Isaiah 53, is, exactly. is Isaiah 53 is revealing <laughs> something that the Jews, I mean, their perspective then, and even today, cannot get their head around. And I would say in part, maybe as, as a whole, one of the biggest differences is exactly what Paul says. That is what our the gift of faith does for us. It brings us into the belief and understanding and revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Savior of the world. Pete. Do they, 
do they largely try to ignore it, or do they think that they have a really strong case, like linguistically, with what is written, to say that um, you know, t to like discount the su the suffering servant. I mean. Are they doing linguistic cartwheels? Have you heard the explanation? Does I have it not. Sound plausible. I, I is it just like, well, a, like a waving of the hand and trying to? Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to claim to be an expert in this. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think it comes down to even what this last statement here, which is fascinating, is to look at how they do that because I think as we start learning Isaiah 53 from our perspective, we can go back and maybe learn it from. There's a whole thing called the Targum Jonathan to the prophets. I mean, there's all this writing of the Jews that have been done in the, in the first century, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century, where they talk about this. And so we could go back and we could look at that and try to understand that. And I think as we struggle ourselves with Isaiah 53, we're going to see how Isaiah 53 is it has got some challenges. <laughs> what we have, though, as we said last week, is we, <laughs> through our faith in Christ and reading the New Testament, have the ability to say that is revealing to us who the servant is. We talked about, we saw that last week. It just, like, no doubt, right? Jesus is saying, the New Testament is saying, like, unequivocally, Isaiah 53, <laughs> the servant is Jesus the Christ. Yeah. A couple things on that that I just, as we've been discussing this, okay, like let's just step back for a second. Okay, you've got the religion, the belief in this guy Jesus Christ that has spread all over the world mm -hmm. since his life. Mm -hmm. You're a Jew. Mm -hmm. Those people are all crazy. Just, just because that guy never even was a thing. And all right. of a sudden, all these people believe in this thing, yet, nope, not looking at it. Not even going to examine that. Right. Millions and millions and millions of people somehow experience these miraculous interactions on a daily basis, and nope, we're not going to look at it. I've, I've looked at a bunch of YouTubes on, um, rabbis mm -hmm. discussing exactly this. Uh huh. Isaiah 53, and, their comments, it, it literally, and this, that to me, for us, is part of the knowledge that fulfills faith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What did I tell you? You won't hear, you won't see, you won't understand. <laughs> literally, I right. tell these people, and they cannot. They're like, they're, they're going through it, and, the guy, and they're, they're, there's a Christian guy talking to him going, what's, don't you, see here, right? And they can't answer it. Because what does seeing come from? That's right. Faith. That, well, I mean, I'm going to say, seeing in part, I mean, our, we have to realize that it's through the gift that we get when totally. we place our faith in Christ to be able to see, hear, and understand. Now, we can still ourselves not do that. But you, but you, but, you yeah. can't really fulfill faith without knowledge. So, because right. the, just blind faith, that might get you over, that might yeah. satisfy for, for a minute. And sometimes you need a little bit of that, you need to, like, you know, but right. that has to be fulfilled with knowledge, otherwise it'll yeah. fall, it won't hold. And so, I would say, yeah, and I would say going back to like what Pete said too, at least my experience, very little, okay, because I 
dealt with Jews up in Palo Alto and went to some of their classes and stuff like that, the whole Jewish community up there. And you listen to them. I mean, they know their, like I said, they know their Old Testament so, so well, and they just don't go beyond that. Right. I mean, they, they are waiting, and we're going to see this, some of this tonight, they are waiting, okay, for the Messiah. And until the Messiah comes, you know, they, you gotta realize for them, the big, one of the huge things was, you know, to do sacrifices. Alright, because that's a lot of what their faith and their ability to get rid of sin and the ability to deal with sin and all that stuff, they had this whole sacrificial system. That sacrificial system got pulled out from underneath them in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed. Coincidentally. Yeah. Like right after Jesus. Right after he predicted it, right? <laughs> yeah. And it got pulled out from underneath them. And you can almost just get this tension in them of we're, we're waiting, but we're missing something. We can't practice fully our religion. Hmm. We can't practice fully our faith because we cannot give sacrifices. So they sort of have other ways of trying to explain how they do you know, what do you have forgiveness of sins? I mean, it's just, you, you really get a, like, a compassion for them because they're struggling. And Paul says in Romans 9 through 11 again, it's a great two chapters, three chapters to study. Yeah, <laughs> they, um, you know, this is part of God's plan, too. Totally. Is, is this blindness? Um, but we have to be very careful that we're not arrogant about that because Paul also warns us. Don't don't be like the Jews and become no. arrogant and think you know everything right. because then you just become just like them, exactly. blind, deaf, and dumb. Do so, we know how many Messianic Jews there are? There's quite a few Messianic Jews, and I mean I've, I've gone to some of their services and I've known some and who are the Messianic like Jews. I was in a Bible study with Laurel Sternberg. Yeah, yep. And then she moved back to Israel yep. because she believes that uh, Christ is going to come back to Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's what, and they, and that's, yeah, and that's what they do believe. Yeah. So, Many of the Messianic Jews. And Messianic Jew is a Jew who a has Christian placed their Jew. faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Yeah. So they're a Christian. That would be such a cool little one evening to, to go through that whole. Yeah. It would be like, cool to actually have a Messianic Jew maybe come here. Mm. Yeah. I, if you guys ever know someone, that would actually, now I'm thinking about it, that would actually be fascinating. Um, I knew some up in the Bay Area, but I don't know any down here. It would be fascinating to hear someone who's really, who's a Jew, who came to faith in Christ, and understand how they look at some of this stuff. Because I'm, like I said, I, I'm pretty ignorant about it. <laughs> I'm giving you about the extent of what I know. The, the whole concept of coming back to Jerusalem, you know, like, yeah. like you know, everyone will be called. And that could totally be a metaphor. It could be geographically... Yeah. Confined. And there's a lot of tension with that, right? Because some people will read Revelation and Daniel and stuff and think like, oh, the temples are going to be rebuilt, which the Jews are actually ready for. They have everything prepared in Jerusalem right now for that. The temples are going to be rebuilt. Uh, they're going to be able to redo their sacrificial systems and the Messiah is going to come. Um, the oxymoron about that for us is, but it, how many more sacrifices should be done after Christ? None. None. So there's also this tension also like, okay, well, we're somehow believing the temple's going to be come back. Re and rebuilt there where the dome is? Right, exactly. And they are, 
they, there's a whole set of Orthodox Jews that have everything, they practice it today still. They practice being ready for when that will happen. My understanding of the Antichrist yeah. is that um, like the Jews will kind of welcome him as the Messiah and, and up to a certain point and then realize that it's blasphemous and then turn to Jesus. Yeah, I... <laughs> I think we don't. Those are the things we he'll, he'll, we have many he'll, different he'll interpretations. He'll build the holy of holies, and then he will right. He'll do try the to abomination. Yeah, the abomination that causes. Yeah, the right. And I think how that will all play out. Yeah, I, which is the same as John first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, Greg. One more thing. Yes. Last night I was like studying about the destruction of the Second Temple and like where the Jewish like mindset oh, was okay. like last night when that happened, just uh-huh. coincidentally, and like. One thing I found so interesting was there's, I forget the guy's name, but he was, like, pretty much, like, the lead rabbi in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the Romans, like, like sieged the city and the area around the temple. You mean during that time? Yeah, so this like, is, like, this is like yeah. when this destruction of the second temple happened. Right. So, like, the Romans, like, have surrounded them. Like, it's, like, really, like, bloody time. Like, all these people are being killed. And he basically, like, finds favor with, um, like, the Roman emperor at the time. And, like, he basically, like... He kind of just, it sounds like he just kind of like sucks up to him. He's like, hey, you're going to be like, the, or you're going to have a lot of power or something like that. I don't remember exactly what he does, but like he's so pleased with this rabbi that he gives him like three wishes. But I found like, he's like, yeah, I'll like, grant you three things like that you asked for. And like the two of them seemed like kind of, in, like two of them were like kind of selfish. Like he asked for like basically like certain people or his friends to survive. And then one was he asked like, Instead of asking, like, don't destroy the temple, he asked, like, preserve the Sanhedrin and let all the Pharisees, like, go to this area. Because he was so, like, it, it said, like, they, they believe his reasoning for doing that is they were so focused on, like, preserving this expertise on the Old Testament and the expertise on, like, the Torah that, like, all these scholars of the Sanhedrin, he's like, oh, if they get killed, the Jewish faith is going to be dead. Hmm. Because like the they, like, we're we're the experts and we need to like preserve these scholars of of the Torah. Yeah, interesting. And you and you know what Jews we have to remember when I say Jews, it's like saying Christian today. It's like there's such a wide range of Jews from very liberal to very conservative, from Orthodox to mysticism to I mean you've just got all this mix. So generally when I'm speaking, I'm more speaking like to what we would call Orthodox Jews today. Um, so all right, okay, so. <clears throat> so that's a good reason why for any of you who want to take on this challenge to memorize Isaiah 53 mm-hmm. uh, I gave you that challenge because I need to challenge myself I've never been good at memorizing scripture um, and have always just yeah, I'm trying to remember everybody's name I have problems with um, my, you know, it's not old age it's just I've been like that my whole life so um, as I go on 64 in a week, I'm like going, okay, let's try to memorize Isaiah 53. So, has anybody started to try to do that? And again, I'm not, I don't want to point people out here or anything like that, because I'm not going to point out if you haven't. I'm just like saying, has anybody tried to start to memorize that? Yes. Okay, so I got one, I got two. All right. When I say try, I'm trying to. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So the rest of you, I don't want you to look at your, don't look at your green thing. Don't look at your, don't look at your Bible. 
All right, I just want you to listen as we are going to try to get through maybe one or two verses <laughs> of Isaiah. Um, who wants to volunteer? Who wants to volunteer? Who hasn't? I need one person to volunteer who hasn't memorized it. Who wants to do that? Well, that would be all of us. I know, but but you you and Steve and I are going to work, wrestle with this. Who who hasn't? Just Charlie. I haven't even tried. Okay, so I'm good. The perfect guy. So you're going to be the perfect guy. So I want you to just hold on to that. No one else look. Um, one thing that's interesting that I noticed when we started looking at this passage. I don't know if you've looked, if you've thought of this, is that it starts in Isaiah 52, what? 12. 12. 12. Okay. Actually, yeah, Isaiah 52, 12, and it goes to, let's see. 53, no, it goes 13, 13, 13, 13, sorry, 13, I'm going to get it back up. It goes 13, 14, 15. And then it starts at Isaiah 53, and it goes till 12. Yeah, so it's sort of interesting. It goes till mm-hmm. Isaiah 53 goes 1 through 12, 13, 14, 15. <laughs> so we have 15 verses, okay? Um, not that that means anything, but it's how I try to remember it. It's like we got 1 through 12, we got 13 through 15, okay? All right. So I'm going to put myself on the line here, and I'm going to see... How far I get, and um, Steve and you can be, you guys can see if you can help me, and if I get stuck, or I don't do it right, Charlie, you let me know after we start with it. Alright, Steve, do you have um, the first you think yet? I, I have, behold, my, uh, behold? My ser- behold, my servant shall act wisely. Okay, excellent. He, he will be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Okay. How, how, did, did he get that right? That sounds right. Don't look at yours. Don't look at yours. The, the, I'm kind of a little sketchy. Shall. Shall. Yeah, shall not right. Okay. He shall. Don't look at yours, though, Jason. Don't Shalom. Look at yours. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am. If you're going to help me out, you tell us. Okay. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. Mm-hmm. He shall be high and lifted up. So there, you got the shall there. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Okay. It's about as far as I got. Okay, all right. You going any further, Steve? No. All right, well, here we go. I, I can know no. the gist, but like okay. verbatim. So I'm going to try, and you guys can just listen, and Charlie, you can try to crack me here. All right, so um, 14. This is hard when you're in front of everybody, because I like try to practice, and I'm like, we'll see. Okay, so um, as many... Were as many were astonished at him, and no, as many were astonished at you. Is that right, Charlie? Yes. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. His form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations, 
king shall shut their mouths because of him. For... Um, what's the word after for? That. <laughs> okay. For that, for that which has been told them, is that right? For that which, for that which has been told them? No, has not. For that, okay, thank you. For that which has not been told them, they see. For that which they have not heard, they understand. Mm -hmm. Okay. One more. Um, who has believed from him? Look, let's see. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And whom? And whom has the arm of the Lord then revealed? That's as far as I go. Very good. That's oh, very good. That is wonderful. Good job. <laughs> all right. Four so you guys get challenging me, all right? <laughs> Believe yeah. me. Yeah. It's, I'm strong. Up to a good start. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. All right. How do you practice memorizing? You know what I do? For me, a couple things. Um... It was funny because I could say it, and then I tried typing it, and I couldn't type it. Um, what I try to do, I know for me that my memory seals itself best in the early morning when I first get up and before I go to sleep at night. So I actually try to do it before I go to sleep at night. I try to see how far I get. And I've been going one verse at a time. So I've just been one verse... And then once I get that down, I, then I go to the second verse, and I do one and two. Then I go to the third verse, okay? You know, so I just sort of go like that. Um, and then the other thing that's hard and what is really helpful for me is I have to say it out loud. So when I do it out loud, it really helps me to, to get it. What I need to do is probably try to write it and stuff, but I haven't really done that yet, which would also help me. Um, but again, I am not good at memorization, so it's just a it's just a challenge, uh, <laughs> and just trying over and over again is what I'm trying to do. So I think today was when I sort of felt like okay, I've got down to verse one of fifty three. So um, you get the first four. Verses. And what I did do was I took, for example, answering a question, I have um, actually have it on my notes. So I took the passage and I put it in my notes so I can just open up my phone and see it on my notes so I can just look at it again. Um, yeah, so <laughs> struggling. <laughs> All right. Okay. So um, a little idea of what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks. Um, I don't have a full, full plan, but Today, we're going to look at the area of sacrifice. So one of the issues of atonement is the area of sacrifice. We're going to talk about that today. And we're going to begin, use Isaiah 53 as sort of our guide as we're looking at these different issues of what atonement is, which we'll talk about again. Next week, I'm hoping either to cover um, substitution. So when you hear about atonement, you hear about different types of atonement. One is 
substitutionary atonement, all right, which in essence means somehow Jesus became a substitute for us, all right? We're going to talk about that maybe next week and or either I'm going to do next week that or I'm going to do, we're going to do a whole week on the wrath, judgment of God and punishment. It's one of those controversial parts of what's called penal substitution atonement, which is looking at, it's one of the big debates today. Well, how could, you know, the wrath of God, is it really the wrath of God or is God just love? All right. And did, did Jesus have to do something to satisfy the wrath of God? Did he have to do something to really pay our price that he was he punished, in essence, and took upon that, that himself? Many of us would just say yes, but what does that mean? And how is Isaiah 53 and other places in Scripture showing that? So we're going to look at that. Um, so that's sort of the, what's called the penal aspect, punishment aspect. Of what does this mean about somehow God took the Son, took upon our punishment so we don't have to be punished? Okay. Um, and then we're going to look, we are going to look at, uh, probably my hope is maybe the Tuesday after Easter, to look at the resurrection and how that affected what's called reconciliation and the effect of atonement. Um, and then, and uh, through all this, I mean, the things that I want you guys, all of us to keep focused on, which is, as we're studying this, and we're really getting sometimes sort of technical or really looking at this in depth, ultimately is for all of us to come out of this going, how does Isaiah 53 not only show us who Christ is and what he's done for us as the servant of the Lord, but how are we to be modeling and living our lives as his servant, okay? And that's, I think, the challenge for us. Because a lot of times we think of, I'm going to be somewhat blunt here, we speak a lot about love, okay? What does that mean? Love others, okay? We're supposed to love God and love others. What does that look like? Well, Jesus and what he did on the cross models what that looks like, okay? And a lot of times, you know, our view of how to, how we are to, lay down our lives for others. I'm hoping as we learn how Jesus did that, we get better pictures of that. Even today, as we talk about sacrifice, what does that mean for us today? How do we do that? So that's one of the things I want us to really, not just Bible study, we study this, but how is it going to change us to become more, as we've learned in Galatians, slaves of Christ, servants of Christ. Okay. Yeah? Everyone good? Mm -hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, you Just a yeah, uh-huh. question on 53. Yeah. Which we're going to look at right now. Yeah. And maybe I should wait, but I just, it's just a general. It was just ask, a, ask a question and I'll, yeah, I'll let you know. Yeah, I mean, because I, I, was, I was researching, I was looking it up and I didn't, all sorts of different things and nothing quite really seemed to hit the mark, and nothing really totally satisfied it, and the uh, different, whole bunch of di- different theories on it, interesting, 12, 50 through 12. Uh-huh. 5312? Uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and it kind of got me thinking of what we were just talking about, the Jews and so forth, and 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 what, what God lays in place. And I do feel like, especially in Isaiah, as we read through this, there's things that, that seem to be landmines that God puts in place on purpose 
I'm going to put this little 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 trip log in there <laughs> for a purpose. Uh huh. Okay. Right? And um, one of them seems looks like this. Therefore, I will divide my I will divide him a portion with the many, mm-hmm. and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and makes intercessions for the transgressors. Transgressors. So, strong. The word strong. The strong. Uh-huh. Um, that he, he should divide the spoil with the strong. That can be looked at a lot of different ways. So, I wanted to hear what you thought. I have no comment about that right now. Now, is that because we're going to get into it? Yeah, we'll get into it later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, right now, I don't have any comment. So, hang on to that. You're starting at the end. <laughs> we'll, and we're going to go around this a few times. So well, good book reports. You, you hold that, write that down, and if I don't get it in the next couple of weeks, tell me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. One thing I want to just cover again. Um, let me get this up here. Is... We started this last week, if you remember, and boy, Pete, I cannot believe how well you read. So last week, Pete, I had him read from the Tyndale version. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys got to see what that looks like. But the fact that he read from that, I even, I still don't know. Did, have you ever tried to read English like that before? No. I was um, amazed because he read it, and I, I was sitting there trying to figure out which word is which. <laughs> I could not figure it out. It's a reader. Yeah, he was I just. Really I good just did read Milton's Paradise Lost, though, which is probably around the same time. Did you? Oh, okay. So you got some of that old English down. Um, so, as a reminder again, so when you hear the word atonement, we talked about last week that atonement is usually it originally meant at one bit. All right. Well, that's where the word comes from. And it was translated, as we've heard from like William Tyndale, one view people, people go to, or the, where atonement goes to a lot of times in the way it was translated, was automatically to the results of what Jesus did on the cross, not how he accomplished what he did on the cross. See if you guys get me with this. So there's two differences. There's what, he, what Jesus affected on the cross. What was the end result? He reconciled us to God. Okay? He forgave our sins. We've been saved from our sins. Okay? Those are the results of atonement, when that used to be called atonement. All right? Atonement that we're going to look at in Scripture is really focused not on the results so much as it is the means by which those results happen. So when we are using that word atonement, we're really trying to understand not just the effect. Oh, because think of us Christians today. We go, we're saved. Well, why are you saved? I mean, if someone asks you that, as a new, uh, you know, someone who's struggling with what Jesus, who is Jesus, and what did He do? Well, you know, you believe in Him and you're saved. Why? <laughs> I mean, people might want to ask you that question. You might open up that question. Why are we saved? What did Jesus do on the cross? What's so unique about what he did? And the answer to that is really what we're looking at, which is this thing called atonement. Okay, 
which is what did he actually do on the cross that affected our ability to say we are saved. We have eternal life. We are reconciled with God. We have a relationship with God. It's all because of what Christ did on the cross. Okay? That makes sense? All right. So what happened was that, in fact, I want to just take you to an example of that. So if you turn to, um, so turn to Romans 5. Feel free. You know, go here when, you're, when you're talking about what he did on the cross, yes. does that include the resurrection? Yes. Okay. Yes. But the resurrection is a great question. The resurrection is in a lot of ways the affirmation that what he that affirms he is who he said he was. And he has done what he said he would do. Okay? So... That's why Paul places so much emphasis on the resurrection. If Christ had not risen, our faith is futile. Our faith is futile because his, the fact that he has risen means that he affected what he said he did on the cross. Means our sins are atoned for. Means that atonement took place. Okay, That's the proof. So in some ways, the resurrection, the resurrection itself didn't necessarily do anything. It more proved that that Christ is Jesus, that, that Jesus is the Christ, he is the Messiah, he did affect salvation for us, he is the Lord of all. That's what the resurrection affirms. That's why that resurrection is so key. That's why Paul says, you know, it's like, if Jesus didn't, that's why there was other people who claimed to be Messiahs before Jesus. You don't know their names, do you? Exactly. They didn't rise from the dead. <laughs> okay? You don't know them because they're not because they claim to be the Messiah and they're dead in a grave. All right, so their claim as to what they who they were was not proved. What Jesus did by saying "I'm going to raise in three days," he proves that he is the third person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. Yeah, because if I mean, it seems like the perfection of God. He couldn't, I mean, if you believe in that perfection of God, uh-huh. then I think that there's where the Jews get mixed up, is there's no way he could suffer. Right, exactly. That's why, you know, we don't be surprised if the disciples who were Jews ran away. <laughs> that Peter ran away, that they all ran away because that Jesus on they that cross. comprehend it. No. And we cannot, I should just say, we cannot blame them at all for that. Because that was not their course of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of us would run away, I would say. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, It occurs to me that the atonement that Jesus did was a gift. Oh, absolutely. So... What happens is there's a responsibility that comes with receiving the gift. Amen. Amen. Exactly. There is a responsibility. There is an actual calling by God. Mm-hmm. There is a response. And that is, that's another reason why, why do we do this? Why do we care about the atonement? Boy, that sounds really technical. Why are we not scholars? We don't need to know about that. 
Well, yes, we do. Because understanding that from biblically, from scripture, uh, because that's my focus here, is not to try to get into a bunch of theories and stuff. It's so what does the Bible say about that? Because that should lead us to a response based on that he did. And I would say a lot of times us as Christians, because we don't really fully understand what he did, our response is cheap grace. Our response is, eh, my, I have a ticket to heaven. My sins are forgiven. It doesn't really matter what I do here on earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To, your, to your point, right? Mm-hmm. If, if what you're saying wasn't true, everyone would be a Christian. everyone would actually want the truth yeah because then the truth would be easy but there's another element to it why did he do it he came to reestablish relationship with his people absolutely and so through that act not only is it a gift but it's opening the door to a continuing relationship which is the responsibility of the recipient yeah so it's the at one minute. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where there's this, this tension always, right? There's this both and. There's like, you know, we, Christ has done this for us. He's given us all this grace. Our responsibility is what do we do with that grace? <laughs> so you know, it's it like, becomes a, given that. a matter of degree of how much you accept that. Accept that. And as sort of what Jason said earlier, yeah. that's why it's so important to have, truly have the understanding, the knowledge of what it is he did. That's my hope here is let's try to wrestle with what did he really do? <laughs> and hopefully that should lead us to wow. <laughs> I'm without excuse to lay down my life for my brother or sister. And what does that even mean? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if I take a look, I'll say for you, Eric, you have a lot of this stuff, some of these things you memorize, they're just like, they're they're part of you. I mean, they're just one with you, okay? Mm-hmm. And those sayings, really, I would say the foundation of those are ultimately what as a response to what Christ did on the yes. cross. You know? So, yeah. It comes down to virtue. Yeah. Yeah. And integrity. Right. Which is Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <But> he <laughs> shows that. All right. So, Romans um, 5. Everyone there? Romans 5. I want to take a look at 6 through 11. I wanted you to just hear this difference here between about what Christ, about atonement, not just what resulted from it, but what he did, okay, and just how it talks about it. So it says in verse 6, For while we were still weak, okay, here we all are, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, I just want to remind all of us, we all were ungodly. <laughs> All of us, okay? I mean, people talk today, oh, this is ungodly. That person is ungodly. I'm like, guess what? Without Christ, we're all ungodly. Um, and I love how it says the right time. You know, just again, there's a reason why this happened 2,000 years ago and didn't happen today. I don't know the reason, but there is a reason. Okay, everything with time made this all to happen at that point. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, a very famous verse, Christ died for us. 
Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, okay? So there's the result of his death. So notice how it says, Christ died for us, all right? Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, which means made righteous, made right with God by his sacrifice, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See, what we're going to talk about the wrath of God, right there. Is there the wrath of God? Uh, yeah, there it is, right there in scripture, okay? And we had to be saved from that, <laughs> okay? Jesus had to come for us to not have that wrath upon us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I want you to notice what was the result versus what he did. So the result is, if you take a look at... Um, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled. Reconciliation is a result of what he did on the cross. How were we reconciled? By his death. Okay? So you notice that his death brought about reconciliation. It brought about our salvation, it says. And we're to rejoice because we've received that reconciliation. How did we receive that? One way. Only one way. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Only through me. Okay? How do we receive that? By the death of him on the cross. That is our focus. <laughs> for when the death we were, is, a, is where the atonement took place. Yeah. For when we were enemies. Yes. That's us walking in sin still. Exactly. Exactly. Okay? Um, so... There you have, the result is that reconciliation. Okay? We're, our focus is, what did he do on the cross to achieve that reconciliation? Alright? And, uh, one and it wasn't a down payment. It was yeah. payment in full. That's right. And what does that mean? Okay? So, here's, I'm going to read this, going to take us into the introduction to this. So, there are four terms. Reconciliation, justification, redemption, and salvation. We use those terms a lot. Okay. Believers are reconciled, justified, redeemed, saved. They are, they're, it's part of a hymn. Actually, there's a hymn that says we're ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. These are adjectives that describe what God has achieved, the result to get. A different term is the term sacrifice, which is what we're going to look at tonight, which is used to describe not what we achieve, but what Christ has done. So rather than what he has achieved, it expresses what he has done in order to achieve that. So how did we, how did we achieve salvation and reconciliation? One way we did that was by Jesus being a sacrifice. You would think that the Jews would understand that when they're used to doing sacrifices and then they see the sacrifice paid here. You're going to now find out why they don't. Okay. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because that's what we're going to look at. All right? We're going to look at the sacrificial system. What happened during the sacrificial system? All right? Because Isaiah 53, we're going to see in a minute, Isaiah 53 is, that's where if you taught the Jew, you go, oh, Isaiah 53, 
How's Isaiah 53 showing about this Messiah being the sacrifice? And then we're going to look at that. Okay? Alright. So, I want you to turn... So, look, I want you to turn to um, Exodus 30. Begin the Bible. Starting at verse 11. Yeah, okay. Exodus 30, starting at verse 11. Now, what we're looking at, as I told you, is a word called atonement. Okay? In Hebrew, there is the actual word atonement. Okay? So, there is the word atonement. The Jews are very, very familiar with that term, atonement. Alright? Because it has to do with why there are sacrifices. And so the word for atonement in scripture um, is, I want to say it's like... Um, Price being paid. But yeah, but it's, the, there's a word, K-P-R, keper, keeper, keper, is actually like the, the Hebrew word for atonement. You don't have to know that or write that down. But we're going to see how that word is used. So atonement, meaning I'm the, the actual action of atoning for your sins, is an actual thing that is Old Testament. In fact, it's much more Old Testament than New Testament. All right. So if you take a look at verse 11 in, in Exodus 30, this is where you start seeing this word. I'm just going to tell you where it appears. The word is kepper, but it's used in some different ways. So those, and this gives you an idea of how this whole thing started with sacrifices. So the Lord said to Moses, when you take the census of the people of Israel, then each one shall give a ransom for his life. That interesting. Here, God has saved them from Egypt, and part of their responsibility is they now, because God has done that, they now have to give a ransom for their life. The word ransom here is atonement or sacrifice. Okay? So they shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, and there will be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this. So, the, again, this is almost, this is the Jews' response to the fact that God has saved them. You said, what's our response to Jesus? This is their response to the fact that God has saved them from Egypt. So, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census between 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than a half a shekel. When you give the Lord's offering, and why are you giving that offering? To make atonement for your life. You shall take this atonement money, the shekel, from the people of Israel, and you shall give it for the service of the tent of meetings, that it shall bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord, so as to make atonement for your lives. So the people have been saved from Egypt. But what God is saying is you still are in sin. <laughs> You're still people who sin. You're still people who need to constantly have this atonement take place in your lives because you're falling short. 
and to, to make that atonement for all these multiple sins and all these things that could happen, you're having to make a sacrifice. Okay? So that's the whole purpose of the sacrificial system. If I'm even saying it well. It is, it is to... If God's people are still in sin, they're still doing iniquity, they're still having to also say, I'm giving this offering to the Lord because you, you saved me from Egypt. And they're having to do this sacrifice in which to do that. Okay? Everyone sort of follow that so far? Any questions? Well, the vernacular is he wants them to have some money in the game. Yeah, yeah. And that money, as we're going to see, is not just money, but that way we do those sacrifices is by animals. Okay? And by, we're going to see that as we, as we go along here. Okay? All right. Everyone good so far? Okay. So now turn, if you have Isaiah, go to Isaiah 53. just sort of uncover this as we look through Isaiah as to what we're talking about with this atonement, this sacrifice. So, I want you to notice, first of all, start right at 13. 52, 13. Okay, so Isaiah 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. Notice how it says that servant should act wisely. Okay? Anybody know, so wise is wisdom, right? Okay. This servant is going to use God's wisdom properly. Anybody know where wisdom was not used originally wisely? Where did things get messed up with the fact of God's wisdom? Not the Garden of Eden. Exactly. Okay. So if you take a look at... For example, if you take so that word for wisdom there about this this servant is going to now act wisely in and you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis where is it? Genesis three six. Listen to what happens in Genesis three six. So this is when the sin happens, alright? Um so Genesis three six. Um so the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, <laughs> okay, she took its fruit and she ate. This is where sin started, because instead of them looking to God for that wisdom, they decided that they were going to try to grab that wisdom themselves. All right? And what would that mean? If they were to take the tree of knowledge of good and evil and eat from it, which is what they did, what are they trying to do? They're trying to be like God. Exactly. And if you try to be like God, then you don't need need God. (laughs) Right? So right there you see this whole idea of the servant is trying to restore the very fact, even right here in the servant song, 
that wisely says he shall act wisely, he is one that's going to bring back that true wisdom of God and be one who follows what God says, not like what happened in the Garden of Eden where they decide we're, we're going to do the very thing that God said not to do. It's eat of the only one tree in the garden. We can have, eat from every tree in the garden, but one tree. And where do they eat from? The one tree. <laughs> Right? And we all know human nature is still very much that way, right? Don't do that! And then we do. Alright? Okay. Um, and then notice it says, And he shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So when you guys hear that about, this is sort of like the summary statement of the servant. What are you thinking there? What? So what's, just any thoughts? Behold, my servant shall act wisely. This is ultimately sort of the summary statement of the entire Isaiah 53. When my servant acts according to God's will, he shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. Is that? That's Christ. It is Christ. It's all about obedience. It's about obedience. And what do we see about how this is, how that obedience is happening? Think about it, what we've learned from Isaiah. So notice what is, the servant's going to act wisely, and as a result of that, he's going to be high and lifted up. High and lifted up. By God. He shall exactly. be exalted by God. Very good. Excellent. Okay. So he, very, he shall act wisely. Yes. <laughs> I will lift him up and mm-hmm. exalt him. Mm-hmm. But he can only act wisely through obedience. Exactly. And not, and again, that's our basic human nature, is we want to do it through what Willing we want, right? Obedience. Not just obedience. Yeah, what? Willing obedience. But it is, yeah. The Which willing yeah. is depending on how you understand it. <laughs> well, it's like the Jews offering sacrifices. Yeah. That's cool, as long as they were doing it in earnest. Right. through their heart, as long as they're willing. At some point, it became not that. Yeah. So here you have, right in this first verse, you actually have the foundation of why Jesus came, what went wrong in the garden, because man decided to act and grab unto wisdom. Humans did. Okay? Rather than going, than relying on God for that wisdom. And humans, by doing that... By them saying, I'm going to grab that tree and take from that fruit of that tree, they, in essence, are saying, I don't need God to lift me up. I'm going to lift myself up. And I would say that is probably the core human sin that all of us experience today. I would say if I had any struggle, that is the core of it, is we tend to want to lift ourselves up somehow. And it's super subtle. As a pastor, I'm a pastor. Wow, look how much I know about the Bible. You know? Or, yeah, I mean, it's so easy to just, in our lives, to lift ourselves up and not to be humble and let God, through our, as we're going to learn, through our obedience, through our sacrifice, through... Our learning what it means to sacrifice and give ourselves up for all the stuff. We want to be the ones that lift ourselves up. We don't want to wait for God to do that. And it just becomes like this core human sin. 
and we see it in these. Can you guys even think of little ways? I mean, I'll tell you, I'll just, I'll give you, I'll start. <clears throat> One of the ways I find out that I thank God <laughs> for this, I mean, Jeff sort of mentioned this in his sermon on Sunday, is <clears throat> Great sermon. you see right now how many famous celebrity pastors fall. Okay. I'm here today because of a pastor who fell. Alright? And I mean that seriously. If I if he did not, I probably would not be sitting in front of you today. I'd probably still be a pastor in the Bay Area. Okay. Because he was a pastor that I was of that church of. That whole area of and, you know for pastors and stuff, it's one of the hardest things because the people want to make you a celebrity. They want to lift you up. <laughs> And it's so tempting to try to be lifted up. And I know for me, you know, as a pastor too, you're just like, oh my gosh, you do a sermon, you're like, did anybody like that? <laughs> what did they think of that? You know, and there's just all in every, all of our, our own ways in which we get insecure, mm-hmm. and we want to try to push ourselves up. You know, so I, I noticed God has this little pattern for me. I will do a sermon, and I'll like, oh my gosh. I screwed up, or I feel like whatever. Then, then I have a few of you come up. You know, they go, that was really good, Greg. You know, and I'm like, sort of feeling good about myself. And then I'm like, well, yeah, maybe it was, maybe it was good. I'm being facetious. I'm not being facetious. I'm actually being most serious. And you start feeling like sort of better about yourself. I'm like, yeah, I, you know, that was pretty good. I, and people are telling you you did really good and stuff. And and then I have a woman come in and says, Greg, can I talk to you for a few minutes? And this happened just a couple months ago after I did a sermon. Sits me in my office, and she then proceeds to tell me about how something that I said in my sermon she really did not like because she had her husband there who's been struggling with Christianity, and she did not like the fact that I um, that I sort of classed everybody there in the way I characterized this, and I sort of said, and we all are like evangelicals, where her husband has this really negative view of being evangelical. She finally invited him to church. And here I am sort of saying, hey, we're all part of this. And she just like, did not like that. <laughs> okay. So, you know, you, but I'm saying all that because I noticed that God for me will sit there, I'll leave, I'll, I'll feel like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good about myself or good I did something. And then God loves to come around and go, <laughs> no, Greg, you know what? It's not about you. It's right. about you just relying on God. And your worth in Him, you you be obedient, but it's so hard to live that way. It's so hard every day. I feel like we have challenges to not lift ourselves up. That's right. Do you guys have like do every ever, day? Anybody have examples of that? I started. So I mean, yeah, Jason. So being an artist. Oh, that's okay. That's yeah. Okay, so where I am in the process is, you, you know, just just like you, you you put it out there. Was I think it's pretty cool. Maybe some of it's better than whatever, right? You know, you're like, but I, you don't know. People come by, they look. Some people comment. Some you just you don't know. But then some people, same same sort of thing. We'll go, wow, that's really great. And, da, da, da. and so I'm at a point now where I'm not, I'm not, I'm still, I've been trying to figure out pricing. 
right? Uh-huh. Half John, a shekel. Half a shekel. <laughs> <laughs> if you think a shekel, make it a quarter shekel. So, so John's been doing this for, for 30 years, 30, more than 30 years now. And so we're basically like, you know, if an artist could be a business partner, we're sort of like that. So, but he has this pricing and it's his, his way, right? And he has this kind of, so now the question is, what, what path am I going to go down on that, right? Where do I put myself and like kind of play that out over time and so forth? And anyways, it, it is the ultimate, like, okay, I just, God, just tell me. What and, value do you put in yourself? That's the whole yeah. deal. And, and exactly, right? Like, hey, I think it's worth this, and then these other people come in and think, no, no, it's way more than that, right? And we might. Well, you take an offer. Well, sure, but you have to, you have to, I, I want the peace of just going, this is where it is, and I'm totally cool with that. God, just tell me where to be. Okay? And I'll be there. Because whether it's, you know, way down here, or way up there, whatever, I'm right. fine, just tell me so I can have the peace to know I can move forward with it, because. Otherwise, I'm really struggling with where I am inventing myself, you know? Yeah, good, good. Were you going to say something, John? Were you, when I asked about it? Well, yeah, it's just exactly what he's saying, that uh, you tend to elevate yourself based on the comments of people looking at your work Mm -hmm. and what they would like to have have you do for them Mm -hmm. as a result of seeing your work. Mm -hmm. And you actually begin to believe them. <laughs> it's not true. You're not that good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. That's or, or right. May, or maybe what are, are they willing to pay for your work? Yeah. Not where do you think the price you should be to attract uh, them to your work. Uh, what are they willing to actually take out of their pocket to pay you for it? Yeah. That's how you arrive at your pricing. And each artist is uh, different. As in any business, right. uh, a quality product for a reasonable price is going to be successful for you. Uh, but it's got to be reasonable yes. uh, for the people who are interested in your work, mm-hmm. not just the general public. Yeah, There's no generality rule that says you have to be at a certain level after so many years of experience. No, no, each day is different. Each show is different. And you just go with it. But you can't, you know, <clears throat> bow to the uh, temptation of uh, believing their adulation and their comments uh, means that you uh, you have arrived. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. There you, go. There you, go. Uh, you still need to talk to the Lord and talk yeah. to God, thanking Him for helping you every day in creating each individual piece. Otherwise, it just goes flat. Yeah. And it has no... Energy and no spirit in it has no, you know, get up and go. Right. Uh, if you just academically pursue it, oh, I don't need to worry about this anymore. I can just put anything on there I want. They're going to buy it anyway because I'm John Eagle. You know, I've got the name out there. You know, I'm known all over the country, all yeah. over the world. <laughs> a national artist. I'm on Google. You Google John Eagle. Oh boy, everybody knows John Eagle. Yeah. Well, it's just a fictitious name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just a name. That's good. How about other so, anybody else as far as examples of how you sort of struggle with that? <coughs> Lifting yourself up and... Yeah, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's... Like like you said, sometimes it's nice to hear a compliment. You know these things in your head where it's... 
you know, from Christ, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? All glory should go to God. Or if something good happens, like you pray for somebody and a miracle happens, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, I, I prayed for this person. But it's like, it's obviously God who did it, so you have to really be very direct in praising God. Right? Like Isaiah 42, I was just looking it up, you know, I am God and I, and I will share my glory with no other. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, some, sometimes it, like, should be obvious, but you, you kind of want to take credit, too, yeah. somehow, where, you know, the Apostle Paul would say, I am a servant, right? And, you know, the Lord says, like, when you do when you do your, your duties, you should just say, I'm an unworthy servant, this is what, I, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you, you're just, like, one, it's nice to hear compliments, um, and, and it's kind of hard to deal with compliments too. Because somebody yeah. says something something good to you, and you're just like, okay, well, you have to have a response. Like, uh, it's kind of you to say so or something. Mm-hmm. Like, just so that it's it's you know, because it could be um, prideful to not accept a compliment. Also, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's not me. Like, it's God. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. okay. So now you now <laughs> so you want to totally deflect, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And and so and humility is not thinking less of yourself, but no. thinking of yourself less. Yes, which is the problem because if you're sitting there, I wonder how I did. Like, uh-huh. That's that's yeah. that's not human humility, but that's that's where we go a lot of times, right. and that's you know I I know that tendency in myself, and I'm very suspicious of myself on like certain things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't trust myself in these areas. And so I have to be cautious, but even so, you know. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, mm-hmm. that, this is the subtle nature of this type of sin that we all wrestle with, is it all happens without anybody seeing. It all happens inside of us. I mean, that's what I'm thankful for my wife, who just is so real. <laughs> she just tells me like it is, you know, and I need that. And sometimes I might not like hearing it, but sometimes I really need someone else to just yeah. go. And you're very blessed to have a wife who's willing to do that. To do that, yes, yes. I am. And, and I don't like it sometimes, but I need it. Um, you know, and I also know when I get the compliment from her that I just like very real, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, Eric. There's another dimension to this. So when I was flying captain for Delta Airlines in a 767, and the weather outside is dog shit, and it's pouring down rain, and there's lightning and thunderstorms, and it's just, you can hear it beating on the fuselage that's coming down so bad. My job was to walk on the airplane and exude confidence that everybody's going to be safe, and this was going to be a good flight, and to douse everybody's anxiety (laughs) through my conduct at that time. Now, that wasn't about me. That was my job. Right. Okay? And so um, there's a time where I think you can use it in the circumstance, but yet at the same time not letting it be about you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So it's a little different it's, sometimes. It's a challenge. Yeah, that's good. How about anybody else? Anybody uh, other? Thoughts as to how you wrestle or see God <laughs> help to keep you low. <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm reading a book, Finding Sanctuary, yeah. and there's a phrase in there, earnestly pursuing obedience to others. Mm. Earnestly yeah. pursuing yeah. obedience to others. Mm. That means not trying a little bit, but trying really, really hard. hard. No one is to pursue what they judge better for themselves, but what they judge better for someone else yeah. instead. There, there's That's so contrary to our whole society. Right. I mean, I'm looking out for me, and I could have... Absolutely. I don't care about anybody else because I'm the man and I'm looking out. When you start to embrace that and I started to try and live it, it was hard. It was hard because that means that others go up here and I have to come down here, which that means now I have to practice humility, which means I'm now in touch with the things that made me great. <laughs> And it has very subtle implications as you really embrace that and then interact with other people and, and, and making them important to you and you less important. And what happens is there's a wonderful synergy that happens where you connect with people on a level that I've never connected with before. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I actually like what you just said. I think... It is a word, practice humility. Practice. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but yeah. that is something we need to practice. To be perfect. We're never going to be perfect by the irony of that, right? You can't practice to your perfect. But practicing humility is exactly what all of us should be trying to do, is how do I diligently, earnestly focus on not being up here mm-hmm. with another person going, oh, look at me. We just do that in such subtle ways. But saying... Let's turn the focus on them, or let's lift them up. Let's love them. Let's, you know, yeah. And the important one. And that the world would have us think that's impossible, because nothing accommodates that. Yeah. That's that space that God, through Christ, has created for us. Yeah. The freedom to, because then you actually take that leap and do it. Yes. And you're seeing these, like, wow. No, no, it is possible. You can do it. So, moving on, so I want you to look, because I want to close this off and we'll continue this next week, is, so, you sort of see where we start out Isaiah 53. We have to sort of the summary statement about who the servant's going to be, or who, who he is, all right? Now what we're going to see is, okay, the servant is going to be high and lifted up. Now we're going to find out what's the journey, <laughs> all right? Okay. And so, if you take a look at verse 14... Notice what it says here. It says, as many were astonished at you, and you're going, okay, so is that good? Is that bad? So it's like John's art, or, you know, it's like, whoa, John, look at that art. That's fantastic. Or is it astonished means, ugh. <laughs> That's, yeah, you know? Horrifying, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So it says, and so what it describes now, this servant. It says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So now we're taking this servant and we're finding out at some point in his life how are others viewing him? I mean, if you listen to just that language, what do you get? His, his appearance was so marred 
beyond human semblance, which means he didn't even look like a human. We talked about this last week, I think. You know, probably the Passion movie by... Um, mm-hmm. what's no, Gibson. Yeah. Is what tried to bring some of the stuff out as far as this statement in the cross about when Jesus was crucified. What's interesting is, um, so beyond human summits, and it's formed beyond that of the children of mankind. That word mankind there is the word Adam. Mm. Okay? So Adam in scripture, we might have talked about this before, the word Adam, which we think of Adam like Adam and Eve, which is Adam. But the word Adam actually means man, also not just an individual person, Adam, but it actually means all of mankind. And, you know, we're going to find out how Christ ends up being the second Adam, right? The new Adam. Um, so, in essence, this trying to say, at some point, this servant is not even, doesn't even look human. That you want to know what happened on the cross, that's exactly the best description of why did Jesus die on the cross was crucified 2,000 years ago, is because at that time, and even still considered today, the cross is where a person who was hung on the cross was completely stripped from a per- other person, people looking upon them, that person is a nobody, not even human, not even regarded as human, regarded as the worst of the worst, regard as, again, not even human. All right? So you see this description of the servant who ultimately is someone who <laughs> doesn't even look human to people. All right? But it goes even worse than that. Because that word marred has a very Jewish, it has a very Hebraic Jewish meaning to it. All right? If you turn to, and we'll end with this. Turn to um, Leviticus 22. Why are we using that language marred there? <clears throat> this word only appeared one other place, which is Leviticus 22. <clears throat> and I want you to hear how it's used. <laughs> we're talking about sacrifices again. We're going to continue that, look at this a little bit more detail next week. But Leviticus 22. So, okay. So, um, let me just read from 17. We're going to hit to 25, and then we'll close right off at, at this point. Jesus says, in verse 17, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel, and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or a sojourner, I can say that word, sojourner, which is a foreigner, in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering. So we're now talking about these sacrifices you're supposed to offer, right? So when you, to, to for your sins, you have to offer sacrifice, which is going to be pleasing to the Lord, right? So it says, for any of these, their vows or free will offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish or the bulls or a sheep or a goat. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be accepted for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd of the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect, right? Hmm. It shall have no blemish. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs you shall not offer to the Lord. 
or give them to the Lord as a food offering on an altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has part too long or too short or a free will offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not give it within your land. Neither shall you offer his bread of your God to your God, of your God. Any such animals gotten from a quarter. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted. Anything that has a blemish will not be accepted as a sacrifice. Well, for all sinners, it's kind of hard to start from there. Yeah. But now we're not talking about a sinner. We're talking about the servant. Mm. Guess what? Uh-huh. This servant is being described marred. as one who is marred. Mm. One who has a, is not acceptable as an offering. I would disagree. <laughs> I would disagree. I would say uh-huh. because... Well, I know the skirt okay is kept on here. <laughs> well, yeah. because the... The animals are marred in the process of the sacrifice, right? Uh, so okay. they don't remain perfect. Like, there are certain things that need to be done. And, you know, like with Christ, it's said of him that his bones were not broken during uh, the process. Right. And, there's, right. and there's very specific things about the Passover lamb and not doing that. But Christ was perfect up until the point that he was sacrificed. Yeah. Right. Like he was a blameless offering, the per- perfect lamb, with going into the system, and then during the sacrificial process, he was marred. So yeah. But what was? But so here's the yeah. Very very good. I love how you reacted to that too. Because, <laughs> well, I do okay. because think just think about this. Here's this Christ that if you were to look at him as he's going to the cross and what has happened to him. He would, to everybody else, look as someone who could never be, can't even think of him being an offering, right? Because of how hard he was. Okay. Can't even imagine that a human, in fact, for the Jews, humans were never a sacrifice anyway. All right. It was only animals that could be a sacrifice. But here you're seeing Isaiah 53 describing the servant as so the lowest of the low of everything. And yet we're going to find out <laughs> that because of who he is as a son of God, taking upon all this, even though he was so marked, so disfigured, so all this, he was the perfect offering. All right. But it's just interesting how Isaiah sort of is playing with this to where you go, there's no way this can be a human. There's no way someone can be that. You're using cultic Levitical language saying this person who you're calling a servant, there's no way he could ever be a sacrifice. You wouldn't even think of that. And yet it's sort of this twist. It's like, oh, what is what man looks upon is not what God looks upon. So it's good. You're you're right. (laughs) You're right, but at the same time, the difference is the time between when he was tortured and when he actually died. So it, those, says, it says, it says like a sheep before the shears, he was silent. And so there is a process to the sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk yeah. about that next week, son. Because we're going to see some more of this language. So just start out right here is 
we're in Isaiah 53, we're at the second part of it, really 52. We're starting out by saying, at the very base, the first start of where the servant is, is literally like, couldn't even call it human. All right. So marred. And yet, we're going to find out as we go along. But this is what's going to be the offering for us. How does that work? <laughs> okay. So, let you guys go. Um, if you get a chance this week, because we're going to pick this up next week, is I want you to read Leviticus 16 and 17. All right. So here's sort of a little bit of a sign. You just want, if you want to have somebody to do homework along with memorizing Isaiah <laughs> 53. All right. Read Leviticus 16 and 17 this week. Read it as much as you can. And then go back and read Isaiah 53. And try to see if you pick up any language, because Isaiah, Leviticus 16 is the Day of Atonement, is being described. Day of what? Atonement. What is Christ? The Atonement. Read the language of 16 and 17, and look to see, are you going to see echoes of that in Isaiah 53? How is Christ being shown of sacrifice? That make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Good, you guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Jason, you want to close us some part? Oh. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the blessings that you bestow upon us every day. Thank you for the air that you breathe into our lungs. The rain that you pour upon the earth. Thank you for all the beautiful, wonderful friendships that you put into our lives. We would ask that you would grow us and guide us in our atonement with you through your servant, Jesus Christ, and our Savior. And thank you for this group. We are blessed and we are grateful. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.